Well, it's MLS Cup week, and for the first time since 2015, it is not taking place in Toronto. Instead, the trophy is headed to the Deep South, where it will be handed out on Saturday. Hosting the festivities this year will be Atlanta United at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, with the Portland Timbers coming to town, logs and all, to try and spoil the party. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and we will look at both sides of the 2018 MLS Cup on this week's Footy Talks podcast. Starting with the visitors, joining me from SB Nation's Portland Timbers blog, Stumptown Footy, it's site managing editor Zach Kay. Zach, thanks for hopping on. Absolutely, Mitchell. Happy to be here. Well, uh, before we started, or before we start here, if, if you're in Toronto for the big day on Saturday, come out and watch the match with Footy Talks and Waking the Red. We have reserved space at the Pint Toronto right next to the Rogers Centre on Front Street to watch the match. Uh, members of Toronto FC Media and some Waking the Red writers will be there as well, so make sure you head over to homestandsports.com slash events to RSVP for free. Um, but this match itself, uh, the, the 2018 MLS Cup, it, it promises to be very interesting, especially for Portland, who are, of course, certainly the underdogs coming into this match. They've been the underdogs for, for most of these playoffs as well after kind of a mixed results in the, in the regular season. Take us through how Portland got here and what kind of the keys have been to their playoff run so far. Sure. I mean, you know, you, you said it right then that Portland have been the underdogs. And I think that's probably been true in every match they've played this uh, playoff run, but they've really embraced it and they've shown the heart and they've come together as a group. And, uh, you know, they have these guys who can just create magic and change the game. And I think we've seen that in every series, like, you look at Dallas uh, and it's Valeri's free kick goal that just changes the game. All of a sudden, the Portland Timbers are in control, you know, up until Mabiala gets sent off. Uh, you look at Seattle, uh, away at Seattle, and it's Blanco's goal that, once again, Portland are on the back foot, and then all of a sudden, Blanco hits it in outside the box, and the game changes. It's open, and the, the Timbers have signs of life. Same thing again in, in uh, Kansas City. The first half, the you know, the Sporks were just on the Timbers constantly. It was, you know, they got lucky to escape only down a goal. And then all of a sudden, this just total moment of magic, Sebastian Blanco hits it in from 30 yards out. And the Timbers have life, and they go on to win the game. So, to me, that's been the key, and they're going to have to keep riding that if they want to get a result in Atlanta. And MLS Cup, of course, will be a, a road game for the Portland Timbers, uh, but that's kind of suited them just fine. They've had three wins away from home um, to get to this point in the MLS Cup playoffs. So what's kind of been the, the importance there? I know you mentioned um, certain players uh, coming up with big moments, Valeria and Sebastian Blanco, but uh, you know what systematically and that sort of thing has been helpful for them as they go on the road and uh, do something that's never easy in MLS uh, and certainly even more difficult in the MLS playoffs, which is pick up big results. Yeah, it's, it's definitely moments of magic. It's defensive grit and there's just a team wide belief there too. Uh, you know, there's been more reporting coming out lately about some sort of team meetings and stuff. Uh, but you can really tell that, all of these guys just really believe in each other and they really believe in their system. They believe in their coach and they have that faith that, yeah, we're the underdogs, but 
we've got the grit, we've got the momentum, and they're just able to to pull it out. And I think that confidence and that defensive grit to just weather the storm, weather the storm, uh, has been so important and will be so important in Atlanta because Atlanta is such a great attacking team. They have so many threats. Uh, you know, the now MLS MVP Martinez, Miguel Amiron, Julian Gressel, Darlington Nagby, all of these guys are, you know, dangerous attackers. So the Timbers are going to have to be able to weather that storm and find a moment somewhere to, to change the game and put it in their favor. And speaking of the, the playing on the road, it, it kind of wouldn't be an MLS Cup week without some sort of scuffle over tickets. We saw it in Toronto the past couple of years with, um, you know, season seat holders having to move seats and, and be relocated um, for the MLS Cup week. Uh, with Portland, they were able to sell out their their allocated seats in, in a ridiculous amount of time and um, we're, we're kind of arguing and, and there's been some frustration over the fact that they didn't get more. What's kind of been the, the status on that situation and how it's kind of, um, been a, t- a bit of a talking point in the lead up to this match. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because the way the playoffs are structured seems to hinge on it on the final being at a neutral site. And I get why the league doesn't do that anymore because there are some cities that you just don't really want to host a neutral final. There are reasons, different levels of support reasons, and I get that. Uh, and Atlanta is going to be a great place to have the final, absolutely. But when there's a visiting team that has such rabid support as Portland, even just from a league standpoint, you'd want them to have as big of uh, or as much representation in the stands as possible. It's cooler on the broadcast. The new don't hear the two uh, fan bases cheering against each other. It's more fun for the people there, and it's it's you know, better for the visiting team too. And if the playoff structure hinges on it being a neutral final, then it's not just another away game for the visitors. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, And uh, I guess moving from that to another stadium question, it's probably kind of one of the last things on, on the minds of Portland Timber fans right now, but uh, I did want to ask about the the stadium and Providence Park and the renovations that will they'll undergo and reportedly going to have to play the first twelve games of next season on the road, which could be difficult, especially if they're able to to win this MLS Cup and qualify for the uh, for the Concacaf Champions League. I can imagine, and knowing all the you know kind of problems that that caused for Toronto FC this season, um, that'd be quite quite a spectacle for for Portland Timbers, but. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of these renovations and, and, you know, already one of the, the best venues in MLS in in my opinion, but it looks like it's going to be getting a lot better. Yeah. I mean, on a surface level, I think the addition to the stadium is great. The Timbers have never not sold out a home MLS game, which is a pretty crazy statistic that you don't hear a whole lot. Um, and so adding a few thousand seats is clearly much needed and there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they're going to be filled pretty much every game, especially after this great season that the Timbers have had. Uh, but as you said, moving forward to next season, starting the next 12 games on the road, maybe might be uh, as few as 10. Uh, but e- even so, that's a huge, a huge away stretch 
to start the season, especially again, as you said, with with CONCACAF Champions League. And yeah, that's going to present difficulty. It's going to present difficulty, uh, especially if if the Timbers win on Saturday. They're going to have to shake up the roster. It's what happens when you win MLS Cup in this league. And we saw that even at the start of this year with, you know, a lot of new guys in, new coach, and just with five games on the road to start, there were difficulties. So how is that going to present next year? I don't know, but it's definitely going to be a challenge. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that this team is this year, it's that they can weather those challenges and come through better for it on the other end. Uh, so we'll just have to see if they're going to be able to do the same thing next year. And you've kind of mentioned this a little bit uh, a little bit earlier when you were talking about Atlanta and, and the threats they pose, but what are the big keys to this match for, for the Portland Timbers? Uh, again, certainly uh, I think we'll, we'll expect them to be on the, the back foot for, for a lot of the match, but um, that, might, that might not be the worst thing for them either. Yeah, the Timbers have shown that they can be effective on the counter. Uh, so they're they're happy to sit back and take pressure. But as far as keys to the match go, they have to contain Joseph Martinez. They have to contain Miguel Amiron. Um, it looks like the Timbers are going to have Larry Smabiala back, which is huge on that on that front. Uh, if you look at back when these teams played in the regular season, you know they contained Joseph Martinez. And, you know, you can say he had an off day, but part of that's going to be because the defense is there, giving him problems. So they're definitely going to look to sort of recreate that performance. Uh, and then going forward, they need their, their big players who can change games to change games. Uh, they need the Diego Valeri. They need the Sebastian Blanco moments. They need Diego Chara to just lock down the midfield. Uh, like he's done incredibly well this playoff run, as he always does. And they need they need to match up tactically in a way that can build on their strengths and just not let Atlanta run through their back line, basically. Yeah, fair enough. And, and kind of to flip that question, what do you see about Atlanta that um, maybe could be vulnerable? I know they, they've looked pretty invincible at times this season, but um, as you know, Toronto FC proved it in the final game of the season and as a couple of teams have been able to prove throughout this year, they're not invincible and they can um, be beaten if, if you know, the opposition is on their game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you look at the Eastern Conference final, the first leg of that, uh, sure, it ended 3-0, but for the first 30 minutes or so up until the first goal, it wasn't a total runaway. I mean, the Red Bulls were containing, they were definitely in the game. and then they sort of gave up a goal and Atlanta ran away with it. I think one of the keys with containing Atlanta is just not giving them that momentum. They love to score a goal and then score two more really fast because they're riding the momentum and they've still got you spinning from the first one. So if you can contain them, not give them that, that first goal, that first moment to change the match in their favor, they're definitely beatable. I mean, they <laughs> They're obviously an incredibly talented team, and they don't have any huge glaring weaknesses. Uh, and part of that's just, you know, tantamount to that teams that have huge glaring weaknesses generally don't make it to MLS Cup in this league. Uh, but it's hard to pick out sort of any individual weakness as 
far as talent or players or tactics go. It's really just got to be that managing the momentum of the match and keeping it in your favor. I have to ask before we uh, before we finish up here uh, about the log. Um, you know what what's the significance to to Portland Timbers fans because they will be traveling um, some two thousand six hundred miles with with a log to uh, the Atlanta United Stadium to Mercedes Benz, um, which is a, a pretty awesome uh, you know a pretty awesome thing to have at this MLS Cup. Yeah, I mean it's a tradition here. It's it's uh it's the victory log and so the Timbers take it everywhere. They took it to uh Columbus for MLS Cup in 2015 and it seems like that's the sort of tradition you don't want to break when you're playing for your second cup. Yeah, certainly. Uh thanks for joining the show today, Zach, and uh, enjoy the final. Thanks you too, Mitchell. And when we come back, we'll take a look at the Atlanta United side of the match. And we are back on the Footy Talks podcast. It's now time to talk about the hosts of the 2018 MLS Cup Final. I'm joined by Sydney Hunt of Dirty South Soccer. And Sydney, just two years in, Atlanta United, they've already reached that biggest game of the year in MLS that in itself has to be considered an incredible accomplishment. I know the Chicago Fire, they got to an MLS Cup final and won in their first year in 2000. Uh, but the league has taken a you know quite a turn since then. It's been uh, incredibly different now. So, um, you know, how important is it, though, that even though that is quite an incredible accomplishment uh, just to get Atlanta United to this cup final, how important is it that they're able to finish the job and pick up a piece of silverware to make sure to you know record the history of this historic season? No, absolutely, especially after last year. Um, while it was a success, while they were um, the first expansion team to make the playoffs, I believe, since um, Seattle, um, it was a disappointment to see them lose in the uh, knockout stage to Columbus Crew and penalty independently shootout, I should say. This year, the um, a lot of the same names and faces as we saw from last year, obviously with some additions. Um, Don Canagby, Franco Escobar, um, Eric Rometty in particular, and some other names to go along with that. Uh, they really helped the team and buoyed the team to the season that they had last, or this particular season, um, to fall, um, as you know, two points shy of winning the Supporters' Shield. Um uh, and full disclosure, I was up at um, BMO Field for the final regular season game, mm-hmm. um, TFC against Atlanta United. And, you know, I have to be honest, watching that team play, watching Atlanta play on uh, that particular day, um, I had my doubts as to how they do in the playoffs, but um, I've happily been proven wrong. Uh, they've gone a quarter tear during this postseason, and um, it looks like they've peaked at the exact time that they needed to peak. Uh, especially defensively, uh, with Franco Escobar, uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez, Greg Garza, Michael Parker's made the, that back line. So it's good to see. And now here they are, you know, one away from winning MLS Cup. Yeah, I wanted to actually ask about that final match of the season against Toronto FC because, you know, that was a game they obviously came into as heavy favorites with. Uh, silverware on the line, which is somewhat similar to what we can expect on Saturday. Uh, certainly, uh, they'll be the favorites over the Portland Timbers, and 
they really did crumple in that match. I know, you know, the Supporters Shield is important, but it's not quite as big as the MLS Cup. But nonetheless, they, you know, that was a really disappointing performance from them. Toronto, who is a club that struggled all season, um, were, were able to, to get that win and obviously deny them that piece of silverware. Uh, but as you said, they've really done well for themselves during these playoffs, especially uh, I think the in the Eastern Conference Finals against uh, the New York Red Bulls, it was a really solid performance and, and kind of proved that they are the best team in the East going into this uh, MLS Cup Final. But, um, you know, what has the team kind of, do you think, learned from that Toronto game? Because uh, it, it kind of is a, it was a chance for them to, to, to at least uh, experience that before the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what they've learned from it is, uh, you know, never really taking the, taking the fun for granted. Um, Toronto FC has been well outside of the playoff picture for some time. I think to some extent the fans and I think the players as well that that they could kind of coast in and grab that three points and just come out with that win. And obviously if you'll ask them, you know, they'll say that's not the case, but I think half the battle is between the ears, right? And um, so I think that mindset, when they looked at the um, standings and saw TFC at the bottom, I kind of feel like they thought that they could just kind of coast in and they'll ride out with a win. You know, obviously it was a humbling experience to lose that match the way they did. But again, they've been able to bounce back. Um, if you look at their history, you know, coming out of losses, they've been very resilient. Um, and that's kind of a hallmark of this team. It's resilience. Um, you know, they had every reason to kind of go into a playoff on a sour note, especially after losing the way they did. But, um, They've been able to pick themselves up and, like I said, prove myself and a lot of the fans wrong, um, especially defensively, offensively. Um, I think there's a lot of doubt going in against um, New York Red Bulls that um, Eastern Conference Finals, you know, how how would Atlanta United match up against the Red Bulls? And that 3-0 win at home at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I think really buoyed that team to really a low-pressure situation going back into the return league on Thursday. Obviously, 3-0 isn't a insurmountable margin, but mentally speaking, it was for um, Red Bulls, as it turned out. I think it really forced Chris Armas to kind of abandon the tactics that worked for him so well in the past. And this is, uh, you know, a very interesting one for Atlanta, kind of uh, regardless of the result, is because it's the end of the Tata Martino era and you know there's obviously no shortage of rumors surrounding a lot of their key players as well in terms of potentially leaving this offseason so how big of a game is this in terms of you know obviously Tata is going to be huge for Atlanta regardless of what happens in this game he was the initial builder and he um, you, you know got the club to incredible heights very quickly as a club but at the same time, you know, how, how big would it be to, to add an MLS Cup at the end of all that and uh, really cement his legacy? No, absolutely. And uh, if you look at you know, Tata Martino's legacy, you know, he's had obviously um, some success with the national team level with Argentina. You know, he's been with, um, he's been overseas as well as some of the bigger clubs, as well as down in South America. One thing you look at, though, with Tata Martino's um, ledger is this inability to win that final. I think um, Saturday will be his first, if he wins on Saturday, it'll be his first championship, his first final winning as a, as a manager of a club. So oh, wow. going out on that high, going out on that high note, especially going into this next gig, which is rumored to be um, 
Mexico, but we've not heard anything official on that. Will be obviously a high note to end on. You know, as he said, he was kind of the architect along with the front office and building that team, really recruiting players like Joseph Martinez, Miguel Amiro, and et cetera. Uh, you read all the time about those players that I just mentioned. You know, one of the reasons that they came to Atlanta United was really that name equity that Tata Martino has. You know, it, Miguel Amiro, I believe, said it best, you know, the name Tata Martino is like, I may be paraphrasing, that of a god pretty much in South America, especially in Argentina, also in Paraguay, where he's from. Um, but, um, yeah, that name equity that um, Tata Martino has been able to build um, and at the domestic level with Ar- in Argentina, as well as the national team coach, has really been able to, has really helped Atlanta United really bring in these key parts that have helped him to this point. I think that's going to be part of the struggle when he leaves is – how will the front office be able to recruit these high-level players? I believe at this point in time, you know, with it being one of the bigger clubs in MLS now, the success that it's had that, you know, South Americans, you know, some of the better players around the world, some of the up-and-coming players around the world will now look to Atlanta to say, hey, this is an option. This is a place that I can, you know, can go to further my career and maybe set myself up as – maybe a Miguel Amaron to maybe move out to Europe and further raise my profile. Yeah, and uh, it was announced today that Joseph Martinez has won the, the 2018 MLS MVP. I don't think there's much argument there considering how dominant he was no, this season. Um, obviously a player who who hit the ground running in MLS in his first year but really took the next step this year and was just incredibly dominant. What did he mean to Atlanta United this year? And um, yeah, have you ever seen a player more dominant in MLS? Because I know we've obviously had one who was very good here in Toronto, but uh, the way Martinez was able to score game in, game out is, is just incredible in any league around the world. Yeah, I've not seen that. And I'm a, I'm a fairly new fan of MLS, so I've not seen um, anyone just dominate the score sheet like that. Obviously, uh, there's a lot to be said about Sebastian Jovinko, what he's done up at TFC. But uh, for Martinez's part, you know, as he said, he just really hit the ground running. Um, you know, like all strikers, he kind of fell into that um, hole of not scoring for, I guess, consecutive matches, which is to be expected of every striker around the world. I don't care who you are. So I think at that point, the fans knew enough to not panic. They knew enough about Joseph Martinez that you know, sooner or later he would snap out of it. He would really round back into form. And... I think when you have a player like him on the field that can change a match as quickly as he can, I think they really tilt the field in, in uh, Atlanta's favor against Portland on Saturday. But um, he, he seems like he'll be around. I mean, past the winter transfer window, um, and the month already uh, was rumored to be looking at him. I don't think that anything will come of it, come of it as of yet. But uh, I think if he continues kind of in this vein, um, as long as he continues to show his neck for scoring, I think you'll start to see a lot of other clubs, maybe not high-end clubs, but maybe a lot of Miguel McKees clubs, um, maybe a little more higher-profile clubs really start to um, take a look at him and consider him. And going into the match, uh, 
on Saturday. What's what's kind of the keys for for Atlanta United in this game? Uh, you know, they'll probably have the majority of the ball, you'd think, and probably a lot of momentum behind them. But uh, but you know, what are the keys for for making sure that they can unlock a, a Portland side that you know you talk about Atlanta's resilience? Well, Portland's certainly been incredibly resilient in these playoffs as well. No, they have, and um, I when you look at the match. You know, it's easy to say Atlanta United are the favorites, but um, you can't discount a team like Portland you know, having players like Diego Valeri, um, of course, players like him who can change a game as well. So I think they need to neutralize him, neutralize you know, definitely Portland's key players. And that's going to be a tough task for that back line. You know, they've done well, um, especially Franco Escobar in that right fullback role. Um you know, Gonzalez Perez, Mike Parkhurst, I think, have played their best soccer since coming to Atlanta United in this postseason. So it's been great to see them really establish themselves and really, you know, prove to the to the to the league uh, that they are you no know, good, tall defenders. Of course, if anyone's watching Atlanta United, they know the quality of you know players like Gonzalez Perez and Parkhurst already. Um, so if they can. Um, if they can keep that uh, momentum that they've built over this playoff, now I think they'll make it tough for uh, Portland. Um, Almiro, we mentioned him. Uh, he, if he can really unlock that shape that Portland will bring in on Saturday. I think the midfield as well. Um, Jeff Lorenowitz, Eric Rometty, of course the new signing Rometty coming in midseason, who has done well for this club. Um, I think for them, they need to... Um, they, they've been done well as well during this postseason. I think if they continue that run of form that they've been on on Saturday, again, that'll just make it tough on Portland. Um, when you look at players like Lorenowitz, when you look at players like Parkers, Nagby, you know, those are players that have been here before. They have MLS Cup experience, and Nagby, of course, winning with Portland Timbers a few years ago. So I think a player like Nagby in particular, he knows his team inside and out, Portland. So I think leaning on his experience, leaning on his skill to really be that, you know, box-to-box midfielder that Atlanta needs to make things happen, especially with him, with Almiron, of course, still with Martinez up top. You know, if those elements come together, I think Atlanta will be tough to beat. And one that you can't discount, obviously, the uh, crowd um, heavily in Atlanta's favor on Saturday, I believe. Um, of course, 70,000 fans. You know, with the venue being sold out, uh, it's going to be loud. <laughs> it's going to be loud, and uh, they're going to be heavily, heavily in Atlanta's favor. Yeah, no kidding. For for MLS in general, this should be quite a great uh, commercial. I mean, two of the best fan bases uh, in, in the league, and Atlanta being one of the most exciting places to to watch a game. Uh, before we finish, uh, I just wanted to talk quickly about uh, Atlanta playing in the CONCACAF Champions League next season. They got their draw. They're going to play uh, Costa Rican side Herdiano in the round of 16. Um, what does this competition potentially mean for uh, Atlanta United? I know this is very much kind of looking ahead. And not, not as many people will be thinking about this competition as, as maybe some of the other clubs, uh, considering they've got a much bigger 
uh, things on their plate right now. But you know, we've seen what the what this competition can do for you know boosting the reputation of a club like like Toronto FC did this past year when they made the final and and their incredible run. Um, what could this mean for Atlanta in terms of kind of just uh, you know showing their their steel in the region and and how good of a club they really are in the on the continental level as well. Yeah, I think Toronto FC making the final um, last year um, really, I think, did this part in boosting CONCACAF Champions League and kind of raising his profile from just um, thinking of the side that the, half the fans care about, half the fans don't. But um, I think TFC making it to that final last year um, really helps the competition grow and develop, especially among Americans. I think Atlanta United being in it, I think if they have success in it um, and, you know, heck, end up winning the competition, I think that will raise his profile even more. Um, Darren Eels has said, you know, well before the team began playing, you know, he doesn't just want this to be a club that's successful at the national level, at the league level. He wants, to be, wants it to be a world player, a, player, a club that's known around the world. And um, I think winning MLS Cup on Saturday will be a part of that. By the winning CONCACAF Champions League, or at the very least, um, performing well enough to maybe get to the final or somewhere along, along those lines, really help it to get um, to raise its profile, not just on a regional stage, but on the world stage, maybe. So I know that whoever is coaching Atlanta United in February when the competition begins. We'll have clear instructions for from Darren Niels in the front office to really swing for the fences and not hold anything back. It really um, gives this competition the the level of attention that it needs. Well, uh, we'll wrap things up there. Uh, thank you very much for for your time, Sydney, and enjoy the remainder of what is always a wild MLS Cup week. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening. We'll have plenty to recap from the game itself on next week's Footy Talks podcast. I've been Mitchell Tierney, and until then, have a good week, everyone.